Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Find and Follow podcast. So happy you tuned in today. Hopefully, these few minutes together will help your day be better as we all try to find and follow Jesus. Uh, I'm Scott, your host, joined today with Craig and Jesse as we're back at it in the HQ, uh, dialoguing about life and kids and how God helps us to live life to the fullest as we follow him. So uh, you guys, we were just chatting before we got going, but Donuts for Dads was yesterday, uh, preschool here, Adventure Kids Preschool. This is a fun event. They do Donuts for Dads, Muffins for Moms. I mean, who doesn't love good alliteration? But Jesse, you got a, a four-year-old, right? Jane's four? Yeah. Yeah, I, I live for those moments, man. They're just the best. Those yeah. are my... Um, those are the experiences that I just cherish in life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's 20, I mean, it's 20 minutes or 30 minutes. It's not, it's not an all day thing, but it's right. share donut with dad. Do you guys play a game or an activity together? Yeah, there's, there's a donut bingo. Donuts for dad's bingo. Mm-hmm. And Craig, you, you, you're my dad, but I wasn't down there as a student. So yeah, you I was, were, I you was pinch hitting. Yeah, I was pinch hitting for Jeremy. So it was donuts for granddad. There were some other grandpas there. Um, but yeah, you the bingo cards are laminated and they've got little pictures on them. And then the teacher, Miss whoever the te- it was, Mrs. Ramirez in our class, and she'd just pull out a, a picture and you find that same picture on your bingo card. And I would help Sage and and you use Skittles for markers. So oh. once you had five Skittles in a row, you yelled bingo and you got a special prize. And so the hard part would be to get five in a row because you would just eat them all. I would. <laughs> yeah. You just eat all the Skittles like you still win a prize. Yeah, exactly. I think the kids wanted to. The trick. The trick was that everybody won. But Jane was the last to win, and she's looking around like... Really? She was the last to get bingo? <laughs> Did she feel like she lost then a I little think, bit? I think so. But we, we made it work, and she, oh, was, yeah. she was pretty happy about it when she got the Mike and Ikes. Oh, man. Yeah. Man, living large there at the preschool. Mm-hmm. But good job for you guys showing up. Uh, I mean, shout out to all the, the families. They do a really good job for the most part of uh, whether it's a grandpa or um, an uncle or somebody showing up if a dad can't make it or... So one of the families had two kids. So what does dad do, right? Oh, okay. So Different he brought classes. his dad. and his. So he had grandpa in one room with one of the kids and dad in the other room. And then partway through the 30 minutes, they swapped places. Oh, wow. They made it happen. See? That was uh, actually Dave. It was well thought out. Uh, Christy's brother. Okay. Yeah. Shout out to the families making it work. Yep. Yeah, that's tough to do. Yeah, it's important, though, those little things in life, they add up. Um, it's funny, as a kid's perspective, sometimes you're like, yeah, my dad would always come to my school. I went there like four times. But for a kid, sometimes you're like, yeah, he always showed up, which is awesome to have that kind of My memory. dad had one of those jobs where it was very prohibitive, you know, like he was there all day from dawn to dusk. So the school life was was all my mom. And I, I don't begrudge that at all because I, I look back and like, yeah, he worked. You know. Yeah, he was earning money to buy your food. Right, exactly. Pay for the roof yeah. over your head. Yeah, mm-hmm. but he never got to come to those things, which is kind of a bummer. Yeah. But yeah. evening stuff, like concerts or whatever. Sure. Yeah, he, oh, yeah. I'm sure yeah. he made those. Absolutely. So. Yeah, we're in the thick of uh, you know sports right now. And sometimes I, I want to be at all the things, but sometimes it's tricky. Uh, like, I don't know how you, – did you come to all the sports things or not? Like, what was your rate yourself? Because I, I don't really remember, like, junior high basketball – Ninth grade uh, basketball. I remember I, you guys being there, but mm-hmm, I can't. I yeah. can't recall we, I, every I, event or. I, I don't either. My recollection is I was probably a fifty percenter, okay. something like that. Yeah, depend. I mean, same challenge, you know, as yeah, Jesse or any working dad. Three thirty on a Tuesday. It's hard to make a yeah. If I've got eighth a grade staff basketball meeting game. or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, which I get. 
But you're making it. Grandpa's making it now. To we have just finished up the park yep. and rec season. Yep, uh, we you've made we it make, to quite a few of those games for Wyatt. Um, we make it pretty much all the time, unless we're out of town. Yeah, to the kids' grandkids' games. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Olivia's games. You guys made a few of those. Hayden's doing golf now. We'll see for high school. We'll see. We'll see how it shakes down for how many tournaments you can get into. They're still putting together like the JV side, ninth grade side of things. There's a slim chance he plays varsity at a tournament or something. We'll see if he. That'd be cool. It'd be so I want to get my daughters into golf because I feel like they could definitely get a scholarship. I was at the driving range and the the U High golf team came out. There was like one lady, oh, and I yeah. was like, I've got to get my daughters into golf. Yes, because that's just going to be. It's not a very popular high school sport, right? And there's a lot of opportunity. And if the golf team, it's like you pay the golf fee is like seventy five bucks for the season. You get a lot of golf for se- like he already played four holes um, Monday afternoon at the links. They went out, played one, two, eight, and nine, came back. Like he's gonna get a lot of golf for seventy five bucks. Yeah, that's a bargain. Yeah, and and the head pro at Highlands is the golf coach, so he's getting instruction. You know, group setting instruction. So it's gonna be great. But making like if he does make a tournament, if it's a nine a.m. Monday start in Lewiston, that's a little trickier. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. And if we can be at any of those. And if it's an 18-hole thing, it is. It, Grandpa's going to not make <laughs> make that commitment. I'll catch the TV highlights. Yeah, Send exactly. Send me a video clip. I'll, I'll walk the course for nine holes. We've done that with Wyatt a few times. Yes. But yeah. that's, a, that's a trek, you know, uh, three or four hours if uh-huh. it's 18 holes and stuff. So, yeah. It's yep. a, it's a, and then an if adventure. it's an hour and a half away, a couple of them were right. up north Idaho there. So, yeah. Yeah, but it's fun. It's, it's important to be part of family, and those little things add up over time. I mean, Jesus is going to help us out. All these little things, as we're going to dive into today, really add up, and we can't overlook the 20 minutes with donuts and these moments of uh, connecting with family and kids and friends. Um, again, on the basketball update, uh, we finished Park and Rec. There's no like record, okay? so I'm not trying to make it a thing uh, because none of my kids are listening, so it's just about having fun and learning basketball, but we did really good. And if there was some playoffs, I feel like we had a good shot at making a championship run. For those who were paying attention, we have laid off the Zag conversation. Kyle's not here today, um, but we have laid off the Zag conversation. And um, just in my defense, uh, I didn't talk about it. And now they're WCC champions. That was a good game. They did lose one game there at the end of the season. We don't talk about that. Um, And I'm going to stay off talking about it on the podcast. Because apparently that's the magic sauce for Kyle. Is, so is they're going to be national. Is basketball champion. done? Jesse, I I'm, love I'm you. I'm like not I'm a pre- sports person. No, at all. I know. <laughs> Two words for you, Jesse: March Madness. Yeah, is it is it over? No, it's not. It, it, it hasn't, hasn't even started. It's getting caught. <laughs> it hasn't started yet. I'm so not a basketball a buff, but I know my that. wife's family. They're <laughs> like they're sports nuts. Uh, her uncle is the athletic director at Gonzaga, so he's like the real deal. So I'm. <laughs> I know nothing, and I'm like, "Yay, go sports team!" Man, you know, okay, it's, we'll, we'll it's work brutal on sometimes. That. They have like ten different TVs going with all the different games on them, and they know every single player and stat. And like, and I'm like, it's impressive. It's an impressive amount of energy. I, I don't know if it. you realize what's happening right now, but you're jeopardizing the opportunity to come back on this podcast ever in the future. No, I just <laughs> want to help you with your family relationships. I just yeah. feel like the Holy Spirit leading me to help you um because it's so different than my household it's the other day like a couple saturday or maybe this last saturday or two saturdays ago it's basketball in the morning took a run in the afternoon played some golf in the evening 
Like that's our day. And I'm like, this is a great day. <laughs> I could yeah, I could play I play sports. That's fun. But like But the the watching of them. Yeah. Yeah, well you mix in a Gonzaga game there. <laughs> There's so much great basketball starting next Thursday. For me it's like when Gonzaga's done, then I'm like, okay. Now we can be, you know, we can let it rest for a little bit. Yeah. They're not going to This is it. This is all I'm going to say. They're not going to be done until early April because they got they got six more games to win to be national champions. We got three Let's weeks. Go eggs. Come on. Okay. I, mean, I can say that. I, yeah. Even though I went to Whitworth, but it's okay. Yeah, that's great. I love a good bandwagon different, fan or different. somebody jump on. Like, yeah, it's great. I love it. So, anyways, they, they're champs. They're regular season champs, WCC champs. Now they got one more champs to win. Matthew five. Do you want to? You want to try to get us there? I don't know. I don't know a subtle way to segue. Matthew five. Hey, I tell you what. It, the win basketball games. It's the little things in life. The passing. <laughs> the taking care of the ball. And Matthew five. That's what Jesus is going to help us with. We did a lot of like setup, build up, foundation work last week on the last episode of the podcast. Just like, what's the purpose of the law? Who's this Jesus character? How he's showing up as like the new Moses? You know, he has all that symbolism that harkens back to the nation of Israel. Now he's showing up with this new teaching on a mountain, um, a message from the Lord, VeggieTales style, right? So he jumps in. And I, let's just do this real quick because there's a lot, and then we can jump in wherever you guys want. Um, but just the highlights. Jesus is going to talk about just about everything in life in every area and get up all up in our business. And he's going to uh, talk about murder and anger in our hearts. He's going to talk about adultery, uh, sexual sin. He's going to talk about it's a heart issue for lust. He's talking about divorce and remarriage. He's talking about like um, our word, whether we should say yes or no, or should we make, you know, pinky swear? Should we just, he's going to talk about revenge, getting back with people and doing evil. He's talking about loving people that are hard to love, our neighbors, our enemies. He's talking about giving our finances. He's going to talk about how we pray and our relationship with our Heavenly Father. He's talking about spiritual disciplines like fasting. He's going to talk about money again and where should we should uh, store it up. He's going to talk about should we worry or not worry and how we go about that. He's going to talk about should we judge people and how they're living their lives and what to do about that. He's talking about like asking stuff from God. Um, he's going to talk about how life is really just evident by the fruit in our life and where we build our life. So other than that, I think he might have missed a topic or two about getting into our, our, our life. But also he's setting up what the kingdom of God is really about and how the nation of Israel kind of missed it on the heart level. Um, I love to say it this way, think about it this way, that God wants our hearts. He doesn't need our help or our hands. You know, He doesn't need our, our financial assistant. We don't need to pay God. And he doesn't need us to do stuff. He just genuinely wants our hearts. And I think for me that's a healthy perspective to jump into this teaching that Jesus is going to do because it can kind of feel like a lot of like, well, is this a new law? Are these the new rules for Jesus? And God's so about our hearts. Then our, then our help and our hands and our handouts, that all falls, you know, flows from our hearts. So there's kind of the, the set of all these topics that through five, six, and seven because they all kind of go together. But we can jump in um, and start talking about it, you know. Yeah, and just in case you missed our previous podcasts on Matthew 5, a um, couple of things to keep in mind as we go through 5, 6, and 7. One is that he's speaking to a largely Jewish, a primarily Jewish uh, readership, or 
I should say Matthew is writing to a largely Jewish readership. Um, Jesus is speaking to a Jewish group of people, and he is in the process uh, contradicting much of what the Pharisees had taught for generations. And the people didn't realize they were being mistaught. They were being taught things that were not helpful, not accurate uh, by the Pharisees and had been for many, many years. And so Jesus is going to contradict all that. But the other thing that he's going to be doing is he's going to be helping us realize our need for a Savior. Because some of the stuff he's going to spell out, it's like, okay, that's just too much. That's just like over the top, like, what do I do with that? And so then it's like, what I do with that is I come to Jesus and I, by faith, enter into his righteousness and so on and so forth. So keep those things in mind as we go through these various topics. So he jumps in. He's just talking about, um, he has this phrase too, different translation. You've heard it said or it's been said. I don't know how you guys always hear that, reference that. But Jesus is saying, hey, Jewish people. Hey, people that are aware of the Jewish law, you know it says do not murder, right? One of the Ten Commandments, don't murder. And everyone's like, yeah, it's great. And the Pharisees are going, yeah, we check, we do that one. And remember right before this, Jesus was saying, hey, if your righteousness doesn't surpass the super righteous people, you guys can't get into the kingdom. Right. So they thought, well, we're screwed. And so, but he says, you've heard it that way. But verse 22, he says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. That seems like impossible. Yeah, especially after, after verse 20, after, he's, after he says that, you know, if, if, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And it's, it's almost like he's drawing this... Uh, is contrast. He, he does because, it, hey, unless you exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, which was extravagant, their righteousness, or what they would say was their righteousness, was extravagant. They not only kept the law, but they built up what they called a fence around the law, which is a set of laws that were intended to help them keep the law. So it was like laws on laws so that they wouldn't transgress the law. Because they, they looked at their past and they're like, well, we don't want to do that again. So Jesus says, hey, unless you do better than that, You'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. But here's some impossible standards to keep. Yes. Now, help me out with this. You guys probably know better than me. It seemed like, and maybe this is just my bias, it seems like they were more particular about their laws they made to protect them from getting to God's law. And that's why we see Jesus all the time getting after them. You're like, what, what is God doing? Well, they built this false human fence thing and missed the heart of God and what God was actually after. I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, did you guys, I mean, I know they did. Do you guys care about the heart of God and like the genuine thing that God's doing? Or are you really caring about your man-made rule? And that's where we see Jesus get after some guys. Yeah, I think you're right. It, they were more focused on their set of rules, the fence, as you refer to it. Um, but I think there's another thing that's going on. They realize they have dominance over the people. And so they want to maintain their, their dominance over the people. It's like, hey, we're in charge. We'll tell you how to live life. We're going to judge, you know, when you mess up. Um, so they, they didn't want to relinquish. Uh, Jesus was a huge threat to them because he comes along and they realize that Jesus is threatening. The, the Pharisees realize that, that he's threatening their hold on the people, on the religious life of the people. And it's like it's being pried from their fingers and they realize, oh, no, everything's going to change. The people are going to going to get away from us. We won't have control over them anymore. They're going to follow this guy, and 
we don't want that. And so there's there's a lot of insecurity and power struggle and all that kind of stuff going on at the same time. Yeah, not that any of us can relate when we feel in like a situation we're losing a little bit of our grip, a little bit of our power or influence. Uh, we sometimes do some different drastic things or how our insecurity gets expressed. Sadly, it shows up in the world of churches. Um, you know, new church springs up in town. Some people leave this church, go to that church. It's like, oh, no, we're losing our people. It's like, you know, there, there's that whole, that's a very similar kind of insecurity and mindset as what the Pharisees were dealing with. Yeah. <clears throat> Should we take that tangent and be transparent a little bit on that? Um, because there's, I think, two big chunks to that where if you've been part of a church community, you feel that regardless of your involvement, you know, leadership wise, you're like, wait, where did so-and-so go? Where did they go? Or they didn't really say anything. Or they, it was a big explosion. They left. Or it was nice and it was great. And they thought like God was leading them over there. So I think a lot of times people struggle with that. Like this isn't, isn't this going to be just us for the rest of our lives? Is that mentality? Whatever context, like a small group, a ministry team or a church community, like, no, it's just going to be us forever. Or sometimes it comes out like an unhealthy way is like the leadership would be like, these are my people. And I have dominance and ownership over some level of people. And I think that's a mixed in with like a lot of us feel a responsibility to care for people and help them to follow Jesus. And so in the mixed bag of insecurity and helpfulness and like I'm just following up with people not because I, I own them or anything. I just want to make sure like they aren't just drifting away, wandering from their faith, and that they're actually following Jesus. It's a it's a tricky world to navigate. It, it really is, and I, I think the key phrase in what you're saying is mixed bag. I mean, it, it for me, it's always been a mixed bag. I've made some progress over the decades. You know, when I was a brand-new pastor trying to start a church in Bellingham, um, every little thing was a threat to what I was trying to do, and I... I you know, I had so few people, it's like, oh, I can't afford to lose any. And, you know, you start out with a lot of those, or I did start out with a lot of those insecurities. And then over the course of time, I got to the point where I realized, oh, a church could start across the street and it'd be okay. And, and you know, that's four and a half decades of, of my journey. Um, but I finally did get to that place where I was, I was okay with people leaving, as long as they were going to another church or in some other way continuing to follow Jesus. Um, but, but even when I was okay with it, in, in other words, it, they don't have to stay here at my church, at Mission Church, to, to, you know, for me to approve. Um, I still grieved over the loss of relationship. That was always, for me, the hardest thing. Like, these are people that I've, I've done life with, right? And especially if it's a long-term thing and, and we've been close, I, I could give you a you know, a dozen different situations where it just was very painful. It's like you're, you're well, even if they just move out of town, I would experience some of those same feelings. But if they just moved across town to a different church, it's like, oh, man, you know, you're, you're close. Your hearts are knit. You're, you've laughed together, cried together, prayed together. You've done life together. And now they're not going to be in your life so much. I've always grieved over that. And it doesn't matter how okay I was with, you know, a kingdom mindset, like, oh, if they go to another church, that's awesome. As long as that church is helping them follow Jesus, great. You know, that's, that's great. But I still would grieve over the lost relationship. Yeah, I, th the, I think the migration of, of people in our tradition of churches from church to church is, is interesting to think about. 
it is something that I think about often. We were actually talking about it the other day. Uh, so my in-laws, they are Catholic. And you, you go to the church that's in your zip code, essentially, you know. And so sometimes they're, they're at this church during the, the winter when they stay out the lake. In the summer, they go to the other parish, you know. And I can't help but wonder in the first century what kind of sway the religious leaders held over people, especially in rural areas where this, that, that was it. You didn't have the, the a la carte choice of churches, so to speak, you know, or, uh, or synagogues, whatever. Like, that was, that was it. And it was, there was no dichotomy of, of religion and the other spheres of life. Like, everything was, was heavily integrated. So I, I can imagine the, like, these, these things that we were just talking about and experienced were, were magnified to a, a much greater extent because there was no separation of, of your life, your religion. Everything was integrated. Everything was uh, together. And, and given maybe in Jerusalem there were, you know, I don't know, maybe it was less so. But I can imagine that everything was, was pretty intense in terms of, of your life and uh, how the religious leaders held sway over, over people. So I think for Jesus to push back in, in any way against their, their teachings, like in, in this manner, would have been perceived as, and it was, it was perceived as catastrophic. I mean, it's... Yeah, disruptive yeah. and going against the norm. Yeah. And, and Jess, you talked about this last Sunday, but just it didn't mesh up with their expectations of, like, Messiah coming and what, like, man, you're teaching all sorts of weird stuff. And this is just the beginning, really, of what he's going to do to mess with a lot of their, a lot of people's expectation of... What was God going to do as far as sending the Messiah to deliver the, bring this kingdom, the political uh, force, you know, type kingdom where it's going to deliver the people in a physical way. And he was bringing in a new exodus in a spiritual way. And they kept looking back to Egypt and going, God delivered us there politically, geographically. He's going to do that again. And God's going, no, I'm doing something greater than that. You're going to be new people. You're gonna, there's a new way to be human. I can put my spirit inside of you. And what's interesting is the turmoil that his teachings caused didn't, and they really didn't flesh out the the implications and like and settle things for centuries in in some areas, you know what I mean? Like, so at at some level, you almost kind of feel for people just in terms of the the upheaval and like it's like, well, we had this this system that was kind of working, and then and then here comes Jesus and like you know just flips it up on its head. And how do we how do we move forward with that? Like, what do we do with these with these teachings? These are difficult, you know. We we have our Old Testament law, and we've we've just kept it, and now all of a sudden Paul is teaching us that we don't necessarily have to keep dietary restrictions, and like like these are covenant markers. These are not things that we that we discard lightly, you know what I mean? So even in this in thinking about this, like Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it, but to fulfill it. Like, what does that mean? What were the implications immediately? And then in the future, as they begin to, to live these things out and live out the teachings of Jesus. And let's, yeah, I was going to jump in here. Let's take a, a, a closer look at what he says here when he says, um, I say to you, though, whoever says to his brother, you, and, and my translation at New American says, you good for nothing, shall be... Is that the raka? Yeah. That's shall the, be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, and then it translates it, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. That, that's the kind of stuff we do fairly often. Like, no, they're just being an idiot. Right? You're a moron. Or, you know, it's oh, I don't, I don't say it to people. I just talk about others when they're not there. <laughs> Usually is the case. Yeah, yeah. Most, mostly. But, but sometimes <laughs> yeah. we'll say it to their face. Sometimes. Yeah. And, and so Jesus is just saying, basically, 
This isn't just about killing somebody. This is about having uh, a heart condition that is adversarial, that is opposed to, that is judgmental of, that is um, wanting to censor the other person or put them down in some way. Gosh, and, and that is qualification to go to hell? I mean, right off the bat, we're, we've got an impossible standard, and right off the bat, it's like, throw myself at the mercy of Jesus because there's no way that any of us can measure up to that consistently. And that's what he's bringing them back to is like, this is not even something new because they were called as a nation to love the Lord your God with all their heart. And they got into just the rules and creating the fence and the extra rules. And then, like we've already talked about, the power and control over people. So God's just calling them back to the original. Like, God just wants us to like love them with the, our whole heart. And it's the people, our, our hearts that get hard, um, demand things, require things. And um, so, so it's so important that God's saying, hey, if you are worshiping at church and you remember you and your brother got something going on, like there's an issue, leave. It's that important to love God is to love your neighbor and loving your neighbor is loving God. Like go and be reconciled. Go and try to make things right. It's not just a vertical, am I good with God relationship? I'm fine. It doesn't matter what's going on with the people around me. Like, it, it's go and be reconciled. Like, put an effort into and do it quickly. Like, make it an important thing because it affects us. We've all had that where you show up somewhere and you're still simmering on the thing that you just came from. Yep. You had a little bit of a, a blow-up argument, conversation, or quietness at the house, at the home front, and you show up at work, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm fine. I'm a totally different person now because that few minutes of drive, I totally changed. Like, nope. Or you have an argument with your spouse on the way somewhere, oh. and then you get there, and you're both like, hey. And mean, then you're like, wait. What, what do you mean on the way you, somewhere? Why are you so nice to them? It, <laughs> I'm just kidding. On, on the way, not just somewhere, on the way to church. There you go. Yeah, on the way <laughs> to church. The, that's the classic. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, you're just like fighting tooth and nail, and then you walk in all smiles. Yeah, yeah, but like large gathering, you can hide and you can kind of cover up, and you can be quick in and out. It'd be like different if you're showing up in a smaller group, like a party or a friend's house or a small group. And yeah, pretty hard to hide like, that. Hey, what's going on? It's not right. You're like, no, we're fine. This is normal. We're acting totally normal. Like, no. I think the tension here is. I think the tension is is that it is an an impossible standard. Like no human could ever do this. But at the same time, there is an expectation that we that we move toward sanctification, that we move toward being angry less, that we that we work diligently as we show in gratitude um, what it means to to follow Jesus. You know what I mean? So yeah. There's a there's a tension there. It's like Jesus is saying, no, there is a legitimate expectation that you that you become different over the course of time. Yes. Like, yeah, there's that, no there's no question about that, yeah. and we hit that before. He ends this section with like, "Where are you going to build your house? Don't just nod in agreement." Jesus says, "Take action." Like, too much of our lives in church in America are like, "Oh, there's a theory, cool, I agree, I nod my head." That no, God's not calling us to agree or disagree with Him. He's calling us to take action on it, and I know that can like push some people's buttons a little bit towards like, "Oh, is that legalism? Is that a law?" No, because we can't we can't save ourselves. Is where Jesus is head with all of this. Because yeah, who doesn't get angry in their heart and then say something, do something? We all do. That's why we need salvation, and it can't come through the law. We talked about that a lot last week, 
and we could talk about it on every podcast for all time. But he's saying it's really important and to resolve things quickly and to I love in Matthew 18 where Jesus is is teaching again about resolving conflict with each other and we need this in our society more than ever is if you got something if you've been offended you've been hurt there's something between you and brother you go to them directly and just between the two of you it's not unclear but it's so demanding we, what we want to do is go to somebody else and get some advice. Like, I'm not sure how to handle it. I'm, I'm going to call out anybody who says I'm not sure what to do. I was going to say, how often do we actually do that? Like, I feel like that's rare it, because people are uncomfortable with, with those types of conversations. You know, it's like everybody's so individualistic. It's just kind of like we allow things to exist underneath the surface because we couldn't, you know, actually have that conversation with someone. Yeah, but they're never, I, I would say never, okay? Maybe not never, but they're very, very rarely as big and as crazy and as detrimental as we think they are in our head. I think it's the trick of the enemy to go isolation, keep you from dealing with it, keep you from following the way of Jesus, which is the pathway of life. But if we have an issue with somebody, I would say 99.9999% of the time, you don't need to go get advice from other people. You're, oh, I don't know how to handle this situation. So I need to go talk to someone. I need, hey, I'm just dealing, this thing came up. Let me tell you about it. Blah, 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 blah. Maybe it's gossip then at that point. I don't know. Let me tell you about it. Like, what, what do you think I should do? In our, our heart, we kind of fool ourselves. We kind of trick ourselves. Well, I'm really just trying to get godly counsel. We really need advice on like, Craig, the other day when you said and did that thing, I don't know if you knew it, but it, it hurt my feelings and offended me. Uh, and I'm still kind of feeling the hurt about it. I needed to get advice on that, like how to handle that. If you're three or four years old, like hopefully there's some training. We really genuinely don't need as much advice and counsel and input as we think we do. What we're usually trying to do is build a case, build some camaraderie, build a, well, Jesse's on my team, and I'm going to go talk to Craig and say, Craig, well, I was talking to Jesse too the other day, and he agrees with me. Now I just brought Jesse into a conversation and weaponized a relationship to try to get back at you. But if my heart is to love God and I really want to be reconciled and not be right, then I can just go, I need to go directly to that person, just the two of you, first and quickly. Yeah, I think sometimes things, it's just magnified. It, it, it's funny because I'm the kind of person that tends to avoid conflict and I forget that some people kind of like thrive on on conflict or like like building a case against someone or like you know building up these tensions where i'm i'm like i'm just gonna moonwalk out of the room i'm okay you know that that's true the, the opposite I, I and i i tend to forget that that sometimes people uh sometimes people thrive on that they thrive on tension and, and laugh and just kind of the the conflicts that arise which is not a healthy place to be i, I want to focus on the specifics of verse 23 it says therefore if you bring your gift to the altar which is an act of worship in the Jewish context. And there, remember that your brother has something against you. It doesn't say, and you remember that you have something against your brother. And, and I know that if, if I'm worshiping and in my heart I, I need to forgive someone, um, it, I know that's an impediment to worship and I need to deal with that in my own heart. But, but this one specifically says, you remember that your brother, another person has something against you. And, and I, I think that's, clarity that's important because I, I've seen some people over the years do a lot of damage 
by misapplying this verse. I've, I've, I've got stories of people who, yeah, um, you know, this verse says what it does, and I just, you know, I, I can't go to church and worship on Sunday, so on Saturday I'm going to call that person up that I've been harboring something against and just tell them that I forgive them. I've got to work that out. Well, number one, in some cases, that's the first that other person's ever heard of it. And number two, in many cases, the thing that's in your heart toward that other person is not something you need to involve them in. It may be, but in many cases, it's not. It's just something you need to resolve in your own heart before the Lord. Lord, I forgive them. Lord, I help my attitude. I want to appreciate them and value them like you do. Whatever it is you need to do in your own heart, you don't need to involve them in that. And, and then thirdly, there are some situations that um, my brother has something against me, but we've addressed it the best we can. And I've apologized, and we've sat down and tried to work through it, and they're just holding a grudge, and they just refuse to forgive, and they just... I, I, I'm thinking of a very specific example. It was very, very difficult for me uh, for many, many years where they just held it against me. I mean, I apologized. I repented. I... I, I, I begged them for forgiveness, literally. Um, I, we wept. Um, it was just a heart-wrenching situation. And at the end of the process, they were still holding it against me. So I'm, at that point, I, I just don't think that's an impediment to my worship anymore. I, I've done my due diligence. I've done what I can. And now the ball is in their court. I wonder how often we feel, you know, it's like, like we feel guilt before God but I don't think we give ourselves permission to feel guilt before other people as much as we probably should. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Like we feel guilty about the things we do and we repent to God, but I think, I think people are less inclined to repent to other people. And maybe that's what this is getting at. Like go and resolve things with other people. We tend to, we tend to be egocentric. Like, no, it's their fault. Like we, we were not complicit in this. Um, and, doesn't sound like that was the case with your story, but, but we do. I think, like, we give ourselves permission to be guilty before God because he's God. It's God Almighty. We, you know, he's greater than us. We can be guilty before God. But other people, eh, I don't know about that. Yeah, because there's an arrogance there. There's a self-reliance. And there's a, you're, when you brought it up, like, let's get the details. Hey, you're at church. You remember brother's got something against you. My first thought was, like, well, it's their job to say they're sorry. It's not my job to bring it up. Why do I have to bring it up? Why do I always have to be the bigger person? They're the one, you know, right? You go down that road quickly. But that's why James says, Jesse, to your point, confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. Because just holding that in is going to just be toxic to your life. It's going to pollute you. And then when you show up, you go, yeah, ready, Craig, go ahead. You, I know you have something against me. and You should start by saying you're sorry, so go ahead. And then Jesus would look at us and go, oh, really, Scott? You don't have any anger in your heart towards Craig? It's just the same as, like, murder. Yeah, yeah, let's not talk about that. Let's talk about what Craig did, though. And for us to have real, true humility before God and before other people, that's when healing and reconciliation can come. And I love in Romans 12, it says to be devoted to one another in brotherly love, to be devoted in godly love to one another, and to honor one another above yourselves. And that's the way of Jesus. That's, that's the kingdom of God. And if we want to follow him, if we want to pray, God, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, he goes, cool, be devoted to one another in godly love and honor one another above yourselves. Don't harbor angerness in your heart. And you, when it shows up, because it will, 
because we're imperfect and we need sanctification through the Spirit and we need redemption through Christ, uh, deal with it directly, clearly. I preached a message at the end of Assembly Required, the series we did in January, Reassembly Required, when these intentional relationships go ring sideways. And all of them do have these situations, um, what to do and how important this is. And too much. And you, have, you guys will have to move me along here because I just think it's so important for reconciliation. Too much. We're talking to other people about people instead of talking with people. And when God is saying, go talk with people. And if it can't get worked out, like Craig, your story, then Jesus says, bring in another person or two. So there's a mediation. And I did. I took those steps. Yeah. And don't bring in another person or two that's on your team. I'm on to okay. We, yeah, we got to have four because I happen to have a one for Team Scott, Actually, one for Team Craig, so we can then have four people just fighting. In the situation I'm referring to, I brought another person in, and they were on the other person's side, not my. Well, that side. was a bad move on your part. <laughs> that's a bad negotiation. Well, I, <laughs> you need to bring just that's, one that's, for Team Craig. That's how you get stuff done. That's that's true story. You beat I, people I up they were with on my side multiple until we got to talking about. It, I was like, oh, okay. you're on you're on Team <laughs> Enemy. Okay, real real good. Need more discernment on that one. But that's what Jesus said. Don't try to bring in more people to like build the case and go, yeah, well, I've been offended by you too when you've done that. And let's, no, he's like, bring in someone that's like spirit led that will help mediate that. And then if you need to escalate it more, grab some other people like in a leadership and go, hey, guys, what are we doing here? What's going on? Can we work this out? For the sake of Christ, can we work this out? So that's important. Jesus is getting to it right yeah. out of the shoot here. You know, it's interesting. I was thinking about is there's no caveat here too in terms of like, do this with other believers. Let's just do this, you know, across the board. <laughs> yeah, in your life, and and this we haven't talked much about this uh, this matter of the judge and the officer being thrown into prison. In verse 25, agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way. On the way where? On the way to the court, like you're on the way to sue the guy or you know take the matter before a judge and. And you're thinking you're going to be righteous and vindicated and you're going to get a ruling in your favor. And he's saying, eh, not so quick. Be careful lest your adversary deliver you to the judge. The judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown in prison. And then this next verse is curious to me. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there until you have paid the last penny. How can you pay a debt when you're in prison and unable to work, right? So you have to get friends. This is an impossible kind of situation, once again, pointing us to the need for Jesus' grace in our lives. Yeah, and, and Jesus, I think, just to zoom out to, is kind of making that point like, hey, you're guilty. So as you're going to court, you know you're guilty. They're going to hand you over, and you're going to have to pay for it. In our lives, like, we're guilty of sin. We're, we're not innocent. And so God's going, uh, hey, you know you're guilty. Like, why don't you... So come and submit yourself to the mercy and grace of God. Right. Or if you try to do it on your own, here's how you, you're going to have to follow through all the way till the end, paying for all your sins. Good luck with that. Yep. And, and once again, I think that the, the idea here is that the other person actually has a legitimate cause. I mean, they really have an issue with me. Right. And I know they do. I am guilty. And that's the thing. He's saying, remember, when, when you come to worship... If you remember that your brother has something against you, you know in your heart, if you're honest with yourself, they have, they have an, uh, a legitimate gripe, a, a legitimate complaint. They've, they've been offended. They've been trespassed against. They've been wronged in some way. And you know in your heart that they have. So deal with that. You take the first step. Go and apologize. Go repent to them. Go uh, see what you can do to work that out with them.
Yeah, absolutely. And then, like, you guys want to keep going? Then he jumps into adultery. He says, don't commit adultery. Tell you anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And, again, with this group of people, like, greater religiousness, religiosity than the Pharisees. And, like, they're like, adultery. Didn't do that. Haven't done that. He's like, cool. You missed the heart to love God with your heart, to love your neighbor with your heart, to not, I don't know, covet. Would be, oh, wait. Coveted, coveting like what my neighbor has goes with this? I thought those were separate issues. No, same, same person, one person. And then he goes into like hyperbole, right? I hope Talk so. Talk about impossible. Right, impossible. He goes, hey, it's better for you just to lose an eyeball than to have lust enter your heart. Like that's how important it is. Like gouge out your eye, you know, cut off your hand. Otherwise, your whole body will be corrupted. Well, actually it, says we'll be cast into hell. Verse 29. Yeah, he, well, I'm, I'm making the point, like, that's how the lusting comes in through the eyeballs and it corrupts your whole body. Then the result is yes. Right. So he's like, hey, you don't be better than, um, like, lust? Be like, get rid of your smartphone. Get a flip phone. <laughs> what? What, did we what just, if people impossible. ask me? Did why, we just go back fifteen years? Why would people? <laughs> what if someone asked me why I don't have a s- iPhone anymore? I would have to say I have a deep pornography issue and I don't want that in my life anymore, and so I cut it off because it's more important for my life to f- be full of life in Jesus than to have a smartphone. And I got everybody's number in here, and I can call and I can text. Well, snap! That I mean that's. That's not the hyperbole part, you know, like right. cut it off, be done with it. What do you, you know, you got to, ch- I'm a little fired up this morning, it feels like, I don't know. I can see I mean, that. like, what, you're going to choose the way of life. You're going to have peace and joy and a, a way of life that is easy and um, life-giving or just death and destruction. I'm just tired of death and destruction in our world and, and it just is getting me riled up today about it's not just Jesus getting up in our business. It's Jesus and Scott getting up in our business. I don't know. I'm just saying, <laughs> how do we apply? We're not cutting off our right hand, you know. Well, that's, I think it's a good question. Like, how seriously do we take this advice? And, like, yeah, obviously we're not going to gouge out our eye, although some people have literally done that. Like, some of the monastics would go hardcore on stuff like this. But, yeah, what what is it that we're cutting out of our life? I think, if anything gets in the way of serving Jesus, like the only course of action is, uh, is prohibition of that thing, you know, and it's like, and, and how do we do that? How do we go about doing that? And I think it's far too easy to give ourselves permission to, to not do it or really not take this seriously um, because it's just, it's just easier. It is. It's just easier to continue on in the, in the way that we've been going. Yeah, yeah it's, it's easier like, in the moment, but not long term. Right. It's not easier for decades and a lifetime. It's not easier when you're, you know, you have a broken marriage and grown kids and they're, se- they're then they're watching that example and their lives are separated. And then you're watching the suffering of like grandkids and generational thing. And you're going, yeah, I didn't want to give up the phone. I didn't want to change because giving up the phone meant I'd have to acknowledge there's an issue, repent before God and for, for people. I'd have to like change my ways and follow the way of Jesus to produce life. Well, that seemed really hard. Now you have multi-generational family destruction because of sin. Um, it, it's horrific. There's pain and destruction. Um, I, I know a guy, 
long, 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 long story short, he's been he's been addicted to pornography and prostitution for um, twenty plus years. And how much havoc, chaos, destruction, his kids, divorce, uh, friendships, coworkers, broken relationship. Uh, and currently, he's uh, he finally got caught. He's been predatory on teenage girls uh, through the social media um, as a 40-something-year-old dude and trying to track down 12- and 13-year-old girls like my daughter age, you know? Not my daughter, just to be clear, but like my daughter's age, so it's very, very close. And then trying to connect with them to have sex with them in person. And the escalation of pornography to paid prostitution to preying on kids, like that's just that that depth of that lie and that sin outflowing in someone's life. Uh, and now he's hopefully going to get jail time because he needs to be taken away because he's not changed for decades and he's had four million opportunities. Um, and he was in a church leadership position for quite a while. While this was going on, living a double secret life, hiding it from everybody, hiding it from his own family, like people he lived with didn't know. And so it's like, yeah, cut it off. Be done. Otherwise, this is going on. This happens. It causes chaos and destruction in our community, society. Um, just, yeah, it, God's like, it's that important. Where are you going to build your life? On the sand or the foundation of Christ? Yeah, I think. I mean, this this passage, though, is not, it was prophetic for our era. I mean, goodness. Like, the you know, the average age of exposure to, like, hardcore pornography is, what, like 10, 11 now? Yeah, it's, it's alarmingly young. Yeah. Yeah, and what do you what do you do with that? I mean, how do you how do you address that that epidemic in relationship to this as a as a community of of believers? Um, I don't know that we've done a great job, but I also don't know what it is that we that we need to do because this. I mean, we have the prescription here: cut it off. But like, what does that mean practically? Yeah, in, in in our lives, in the lives of our kids, and you know, because my kids are exposed to, I don't give my kids a smartphone, but everybody at their school has a smartphone. Like, they're they're just real life issues where it, it becomes very difficult to, to navigate this, this piece. Obviously, the answer isn't to take this so literally, um, as to pluck our eyes out. And I mean, every man on the planet would be walking around with two empty eye sockets and no hands at the end of his arms. Right. And then there'll be no good doctors to like put good eyeballs <laughs> back in. Like it's a vicious oh my cycle. Gosh. Right. But to Jesus' point, he's going, This is how serious it is. And so for you, for us, for me, li- people listening in, like what is my real practical thing that it genuinely I can't just go, You're right, God, that is important. Let's not have lust in our heart. I agree, nod my head and do nothing. And I think for a lot of people it's a genuine struggle. They don't they don't just embrace it like it's this secret thing and, and it's it's funny and fun and like, oh haha. It's a genuine struggle. Yes. They hate it, yes. but it, they're addicted to it. Right. You know, and that's why you know we're doing freedom ministries. There's yeah. lots of other things out there to help yeah. people, and you're coming alongside people in relationship to help because it is. I don't want this part of my life, and it is part of my life. And, okay. And again, um, this is a heart issue. So you know that what you said about the um, about the smartphone and maybe making a change there or putting some software on your phone that makes, you know, lets other people know what you're doing and, you know, you have some accountability. That Those are helpful and, uh, and appropriate steps and measures we can take, but they don't solve the problem because otherwise they, they just end up being behavior modification techniques. Okay, I'm, I'm not doing porn now anymore because I have a flip phone. But, but the real hard issue is not 
the behavior. It's the condition of the heart. It's looking at a woman lustfully. It's seeing her in a, in a way that God doesn't see her, in a way that we shouldn't be seeing her. And, and I think, you know, I know in freedom ministry, in pure desire ministry, um, they address the heart issue uh, over and over and over again because that's really where it starts. Rather than seeing that person as someone's wife, someone's daughter, right, someone that God loves, somebody that Jesus died for, you know, those kinds of perspectives. We have this other perspective. That needs to change, yeah. not yep. just the behavior. Exactly, and that's what Jesus is getting at. He wants our hearts. He doesn't just want our hands and our help, you know, handouts and our help. He wants our hearts, and that's what God's about. Yeah, I, I think this is, it is one of those areas that's tough. I heard a, uh, a speaker one time, he, he asked a question. He said, one of, the, one of the questions that I really have for God is like, why such a high sex drive? He said, if men had half the sex drive they have, we could populate the planet, and it would, it would eliminate such, so much hardship and heartache over the course of human history. Like, how many, how many sins and, and, and uh, tragedies have been proliferated because of that? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, and on some level, it is, it's like biological. I mean, to reduce it to those terms, it's like it is biological. And how do, we, how do we overcome something that is like so ingrained in us? You know, it's only through the grace of, of God and through practice and through careful attention. And sometimes that is the case. And I think for some, it's more difficult than others, you know, because there are... Uh, variations on on you know on that sex drive so for some it's these need this needs to be that much more apparent in their life like i need to take extreme measures in in and be that much more intentional about it yeah because i i struggle so profoundly where maybe someone it's something entirely different and like this is like oh i read through this no big deal agreed jesse well said um and i think before we leave this subject in our podcast today it's also important to acknowledge um that it's not just a problem men have we, most of our comments so far in this conversation on this podcast have been references to the fact that it's typically a, a male problem, and men certainly do have the greater problem with it uh, for lots of reasons. But women, I am told from Pure Desire, who's done their research, I mean, they say that there is statistical proof that a large percentage of women deal with it as well, a, a bigger percentage than anybody would ever imagine not as much as men but nearly so yeah i think it's flip-flopped recently i think the i think the stats were like like 30 30 or 40 percent of of like pornography users are women now which you wouldn't really yeah you wouldn't i wouldn't have guessed that it was that was surprising to me yeah yep and that's just part of all the chaos and destruction that comes from this and that's why jesus is about our hearts so hopefully you tuning in today has been helpful for you uh, in light of some heavier topics, again, we kind of gave you a heads up. Jesus is going to get up in our business because his kingdom is about life and love. And when it really gets down to practical everyday things, uh, he's serious about it because he wants us to live a life that is full and meaningful and with him and not a pathway to destruction. So hopefully it's been encouraging for you and ultimately helps your heart grow closer to him. Uh, have a great week following Jesus. We'll catch you next time.